It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, welcome back to The Hook with Chris, where we get behind the scenes and thoughts of business owners and people moving the needle. Who am I? I'm Chris White, the owner of Chris Seafood. We are located at 1300 Seagrave, Unit 4. Who am I? I bring to the table 20 years of sales experience from both the finance industry and more recently the retail sector, where my wife and I ran a roadside stand while still attending a couple farmers markets. It was in these venues we've amassed thousands of face-to-face sales. We currently own and operate a fish and seafood store. I love sales almost as much as I love business. The man to my left today, his culinary repertoire, rooted in classical French technique, was developed in such Toronto hotspots as Splendido, Mystera, Goldfish, and the Metropolitan Hotel. In 2005, Chef and his wife, Jen, returned to Woodstock, and along with his mother, Pauline Busick, opened 639, where we are today. Here they deliver, along with sous chef, Sam Vandenberg, a homegrown, Oxford County, from scratch, farm-to-table experience. He is a recipient of the top 30 under 30, one of the chefs at our wedding, my friend of 12 years plus, and chef and restaurateur, Eric Boyer. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time to hang out today, Eric. Yeah, no problem. Now, this is a pretty serious question right off the hop. I wanted to sort of uh, get some clarification on something I found that piqued my uh, curiosity. I've been in your kitchen back here at work many times, and I noticed there's one appliance that's not present. And in researching for this interview, it was confirmed that... In order for your girls to throw a bag of popcorn (laughs) in the microwave, they would have to go to grandma's house. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So now even Nigel Lawson has what she refers to as a micro wave. (laughs) So can you fill me in on the why there is none present in either of your kitchens? Yeah, I I don't know. I think it comes from like just, you know, uh, years of, of, you know, seeing things happen in restaurants and and stuff like that and, and, and not it be a tool used appropriately. Um, now I, there is, there is use, there's, you know, legitimate uses for them nowadays, but you know, we still, you know, we have lots of other tools and, 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 uh, tricks to, to not have to utilize that kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and, you know, making popcorn is, is, you know, like Jiffy pop on the stove can be a, a fun, a way funner experience, uh, a little bit more, um, you know, uh, hazardous, but <laughs> <laughs> more authentic, but yeah, but yeah, exactly. You know, like, uh, you know, we love at home when we we're making a pot of popcorn and, and, you know, on the stove top with, you know, uh, lid and, and, you know, fresh popcorn in the thing and, and fresh butter. And, yeah. you know, there's just something about that type of popcorn that like doesn't need a microwave that is, 
just so much better. You know, you get the, as much butter as you want to put on there, I as much you. salt as you want to put on there. And yeah, just, just delicious all around. But in the restaurant, you know, we really, you know, most of the restaurants I, I worked in throughout the years never really had a microwave anyways. No. And, you know, I think there's, there's, there's certain cool things with modern cooking techniques and stuff like that that you can use a microwave for. You know, the, the one-minute cake uh, is, is kind of um, uh, a fad that, you know, took off for a while and, and okay. was easy because you could make a quick batter, throw it in a uh, butter-floured, uh, you know, microwave-safe uh, container. Throw it in there. Minute and a half later, you have this, you know, super fresh cake that is is going to the plate. So, um, you know, really a, a neat uh, idea. But at the end of the day, you know, we we want to remain true to uh, our our classic, you know, and modern techniques. Right on. So, like sticking with kitchen equipment, what's the one utensil or piece of equipment that you think everyone should have in their own kitchen? Oh man, uh, Vitamix is is a huge asset for us. You know, with with making soups and purees and sauces and, and emulsifications. And I mean, you know, you just can't get that quality of, uh, and consistency of product, uh, without it, you know, the, the little hand blender is not going to do it. The, the food processors is not going to do it. Uh, but you know, that Vita mix, you right. know, uh, you know, and, and obviously the, I'm not sponsored by Vita mix, but I was brought to you yeah, by, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, just a, an amazing tool. The, the horsepower is higher on, on these, these, this piece of equipment, uh, the blades are sharper. They have you know, new technologies for it that just create much better, you know, better end results. Makes sense. Now let's start at the beginning, going back all the way before culinary school. What inspired you to be a chef and how did you get started in the industry? Sure. But I, I know for me that I didn't figure out what I wanted to do, go to college until the day I was sitting in the guidance counselor's office, scrolling through the brochures for Fanshawe College and seeing financial services. So... Ah, it's 1997, stock market's rolling. So I thought, well, a bunch of my friends and my girlfriend at the time were going, and you know, why not follow the money as a become a financial advisor? Terrible rationale, but here we are. But uh, so what? What got you into wanting to be a chef, Eric? Um, I, I think one thing that I knew I wanted to do for sure was was do something I liked to do. Um, I, I didn't know it uh, immediately that I wanted to be a chef or to cook or that kind of thing. Um, that that did take a little bit of time, but you know I think where it really started to take shape was um, at a young age at, at home. You know my family we we didn't eat out much. We made a, a lot of meals at home together. Um, my family background came from a farming uh, farming family, so you know my we didn't personally have a farm, but you know. My my aunt and uncle, my grandparents, uh, or my aunts and uncles all had farms. My my grandparents had farms. Um, so the the big thing was a, a switch from the tobacco industry. Um, you know, back in the the uh, the nineties, uh, tobacco got hit pretty hard in, in Ontario, and so people had to had to switch. They had to change stuff up. And so a lot of my family were tobacco farmers. Right. Um, so they switched to vegetable farming. Um, so, you know, uh, I remember working on my grandpa's farm, my uncle's farm, you know, we were, we'd be picking peppers and being in the, um, in the barn cutting leeks and, you know, just, just stuff like that. So it was really yeah. kind of cool seeing where, 
where our food came from, where it was a part of. And it, it kind of, you know, that, at that point, you know, cooking wasn't even, you know, in my mind, you know, it was just, yeah. you know, we were, we were picking vegetables, we were, you know, planting vegetables, we were doing all that stuff. But, you know, really, um, I think looking back now that like gave me a foundation to, to what I actually wanted to, to bring forward. So it wasn't until about high school that, you know, I really saw, um, wanted to trying to find where I wanted to go. And this is pre, uh, food network Canada. This is pre, you know, social media. This was, you know, the days, uh, you know, early, uh, early mid nineties of like really kind of taking, um, taking things in control for yourself and really pushing to what you wanted to do. So I took a co-op, uh, in high school, um, uh, at a restaurant. So a uh, small restaurant, Mount Pleasant, Ontario, um, Devlin's County Bistro, uh, who's still kicking it today, Ryan, really Ryan hammering. Yeah, Ryan Devlin yeah. Uh, and his dad really hammering out uh, solid food um, for Southwestern Ontario. So it's, you know, like still, you know, one of those uh, legacy, you know, businesses that have been around for a long time and will continue to be around. So I'm glad I was able to kind of get my feet wet um, as, as a young, you know, aspiring cook, to, to see what was going on. So, you know, um, you didn't really do uh, a crazy amount there uh, because, you know, you're young and you're in high school, but, you mm-hmm. know, like cutting up salad, making crepes, you know, doing dishes, you know, seeing um, seeing the guys work in the kitchen and the fast pace and the excitement really kind of um, you know, tickled my fancy. And I was like, oh, this, this is exciting. This got me, I was, I was excited to go to my co-op every day. I was, mm-hmm. wanted to stay later. I wanted, so, you know, these were all the things that kind of got me, got me going. And then, you know, the, the following year I applied to, to Humber College for the, the culinary program. Right. So, um, and that's, that's where it all kind of started taking off. So, um, that was the, the, the route in which I was like, okay, this, I think this is going to be my direction. So, yeah. So the work as seen, the work being done in the fields, the mm-hmm. labor that was sur- like surrounding food, seeing the long hours in a co-op, co-op for some of the people who might not be familiar with the younger generation would be your fifth year of high school. Yep. And so you had that work ethic in mm-hmm. like instilled in you at a young age then yeah. and kind of transferred that into the long hours, which comes with being in kitchen. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I've never been uh, afraid of hard work. You know, I think that uh, being a people pleaser and and wanting to work hard, wanting to do a good job, wanting uh, something to be proud of, wanted people to be proud of me. You know, those were all things that like really, um, you know, started to take place, you know, building my career. You know, the being in the back in the kitchen, oftentimes you don't get the... Um, you know, satisfaction of knowing what the guests, um, have, you know, mm-hmm. how, how they're enjoying things, what they're looking like, unless, you know, you know, the, the front of house, your servers, your managers are coming and telling you. So, you know, it was, it was nice. Cause you'd every, every now and again, you'd hear, Oh, this person really enjoyed this dish. This person loved that, you know, and right. it's, and it's really, you know, that starts, you know, uh, really building your confidence and knowing that like, okay, well, you're doing something really good here. You're in, and you're enjoying yourself and you're really liking it. So yeah, the hard work, the, you know, the long hours, um, you know, the dedication is all something that like, I think, you know, has, has pushed me to where we are today. Right. So what kind of advice would you give to any up and comer, any young kid looking to get into the industry thinks that maybe, maybe that there might be for them. What kind of advice do you give a kid nowadays? Um, it's more about the long game. Um, you know, focus on, on the long game. Don't 
focus on what's happening here and now and your titles. <laughs> what looks cool on yeah. the Food Network. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I mean, the, we've, uh, the, the industry has been glamorized quite extensively, you know, uh, since, you know, since internet, since, uh, you know, like uh, these Food Network shows and, and all this expansion of social media has really like pushed the industry yeah. in, in, in a lot of positive ways, but, you know, into negative ways as well. So I think it gives this false idea sometimes of, what a chef is supposed to be. Um, you know, we can't have, you know, all the glamour and, and the glory without the long hours, the hard work, the blood, sweat and tears that go into it. So, yeah. you know, you have to, you do have to take the, the good and the bad. So, so out of the handful of restaurants I listed in your intro, when you're coming up in the ranks in Toronto, um, when you're honing your craft and figure out what direction you wanted to go, which one of those restaurants was your favorite? Oh, that's a, that's, that's a hard one. Yeah. Cause I always, I was always of the thought, um, that, you know, I really wanted to, um, be a sponge. Uh, you know, I wanted to, to learn everything I could for every place, uh, I worked for, you know, and, you know, as a, as a, you know, young man, you know, like you, you push forward and you, you want to do a good job. Um, so I think, you know, trying to find that one restaurant is really difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, between, um, I would say between Splendido, Mistura, and and uh, another restaurant called Crush Wine Bar, uh, those were like three uh, pivotal uh, career moves for me that I, I learned so much. I uh, had great opportunity, worked with phenomenal uh, peers and and chefs, um, and, and really kind of, you know, uh, Put me on the right trajectory to where uh, we are today, you know, building that base, building, you know, those uh, key fundamental skills to be able to kind of do something uh, for myself and, and train people and, and do a good job. Um, but it also like it also, you know, kind of gave me the perspective of who I wanted to be as a chef. You know, I really wanted to kind of know that, you know, I wanted I had a little bit more of a, a nurturing um, uh way of, of training people, um, you know, teaching them and going through them, you know, and, and my, my steps in that were always, you know, like, um, I'm going to show you first, then we're going to do it together. And then you're going to do it. And I'm going to watch you. And from there you're on your own. Uh, and, and, you know, like there's always kind of keeping people, um, in check and that kind of thing. And, and, but, you know, I felt those were the things that I got from those, those restaurants, right. um, those skills I got, those, you know, they, they were able to, to do that for me. So you can say that's, that's part of the culture that you've created and wanted to create at 639 was learn, teach, let them go. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and that's been able to, to put us in the position we're in today with, with our team here, you know, it, it's been, it's given everybody the opportunity to uh, grow into their own roles themselves and, and really uh, be part of something that's uh, it, it's, it's about 639, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what's 639 about 639 is about, you know, uh, really, you know, um, uh, phenomenal food uh, that's you know uh, obtained locally through through relationships, uh, but also you know uh, giving a service level that is uh, bar none in our area, uh, the the best that we can offer, while being kind of uh, you know unpretentious. Right. You know, we really want a, a you know uh, a high end environment, a high end food, uh, but really we want you to be yourself coming into the restaurant, and, and you know whether that's you know uh, staff members or that's guests. We want you to feel comfortable um, coming here. 
Now, I know I definitely made my wife and I, this is comfortable. This is where we had our first date. I actually proposed to my wife right here where we sit. <laughs> and I, I can attest to the amount of years I was able to sit and watch you guys do your work back here. It's absolutely amazing. Um, so when deciding to open your own restaurant, you did it with your wife yeah. and your mom, your yeah. immediate family. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, like Holly and I realized numerous times that maybe she should just keep her day job, which, <laughs> which she has and still continues to teach while helping out a fair bit in our business. But we realize we don't always work well together. Yeah. But uh, what are your thoughts at the time when you decided... Uh, well, I, you know, I was, I was 25 when we opened, uh, six or nine. So I was, I was in my mind now in retrospect, I was young. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I feel I was ready. You know, I think right. it, it took me some time to realize I was ready. Um, like when, uh, my mom and my dad first initially, you know, put the, the question forward to me, I, you know, I'd been in Toronto, uh, you know, eight years and we were kind of just just living there, you know, mm -hmm. going out at night, you know, living, living the rat race and, and that kind of thing. So when the, the question first came up, um, I was really hesitant. I was like, well, you know, I, I like living in Toronto. I love the culture. I love the nightlife. I love, you know, the, the industry and, and, and the growth. And, and, uh, and so I, you know, I was, I was on the fence for, for quite a while. Yeah. And, um, you know, after, after, you know, giving it some, some serious thought for about six months, that's when, you know, really decided to kind of, you know, go for it because, you know, there's, there's lots going on in Toronto and, and there was, will always be lots going on in Toronto and, and every other city, but you know, where our food comes from is in a city, Yeah. you know? Um, and, and I felt that back in, in, in the early two thousands, uh, we'd gotten away from, from where our food came from. And there wasn't a whole lot of people, um, you know, there was everybody around, you know, you know, getting the best product from this place in the world and this place in the world. And it's like, but we have the best product here. Yeah. But it, when it's in season, I don't need to be, you know, have a, asparagus on my menu in, you know, in December. The globalization just doesn't make sense sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So we really wanted to kind of... Um, kind of start to look at what that looks like again. And, and Woodstock didn't have the, the greatest reputation of holding on to, you know, uh, higher end restaurants and nicer restaurants. Um, so we, we wanted to do something obviously that was going to uh, be higher end, but, uh, but also have longevity to it. So we really, you know, push that side of it. And, and it was hard for a lot of years, you know, in the, in the beginning, mm -hmm. um, in the begin very beginning, it was just my mom and I, uh, my wife was there for, for support. Definitely. Right. Um, she was, uh, a registered nurse by trade. And, and so, you know, we had that, you know, separation, but you know, she'd be been with me my entire career. Yeah. So, you know, she was part of it, whether she liked it or not. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we, you know, we, we started having kids and, and, you know, um, had our house and, and, you know, then it, it, by the time we had our, our third, third daughter, um, and Jen was on mat leave and, and looking at what that looked like for our family, our life, our, the restaurant, yep. her going back to work and us raising our children. It, it made sense for us to, for, for her to come on board here more. My mom was retiring at the time. So yeah. just everything seemed to fit into place appropriately. Um, and then, yeah, then it got us to where we are now. And, and that's, you know, putting, putting local food and, and 
local food on plates and really giving people a good dining experience. Yeah. So you touched on a little bit about Toronto, having the nightlife, having good time, like yeah. good times available. Yeah. Now in an industry rife with, let's say, substance abuse issues. Yep. How have you dealt with keeping it in check, especially in the early years when there weren't all those responsibilities? Um, I didn't always keep it in check. I mean, <laughs> you know, like as a young man, you have your, you know, you, you have those late nights where, you know, you're coming home at like nine o'clock in the morning and yeah. we're working at 11 and, you know, it, it's, uh, but, you know, I think that, um, you know, self-control is a, is a big, big, you know, uh, yeah. part of it, you know, and, and knowing your own boundaries, you know, I think that, uh, really pushing, uh, pushing that for me, you know, like I like to go out and have a good time, but I also didn't like feeling shitty in the morning. Yeah. So, and, and I always wanted to do a good job. So, you know, if I was, you know, hung over from, uh, the night out, then, uh, I didn't, Get, I wasn't able to give my 100% the next day. The A game so, just wasn't there. No, yeah. and, and I, you know, being in an industry where, you know, you're required to be on your A game no matter what, you know, it, it just, you know, it, it, it didn't matter. So, yeah. so you know, I, I would prefer not to put myself in those situations. Right. Uh, you know, but, you know, it, it is what it is, and, and it's around you all the time, and, yeah. and, you know, you're exposed to it. It's just, you know, making sure that you're, you're making those right decisions yeah. and you're, you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Yeah. So like in talking with your team, I asked them about a particular time that you had a real challenge, like, like a really grab the bull by the horns type of uh, moment. And there really wasn't any hesitation when I asked the guys this, it was like, and it was a few years ago and I believe it was the night right after your reopening from, from the COVID. Okay. Which uh, I'm going to touch on yeah. later, but that night they're referring to is one where, uh, I think it was just you and Josh. Sam was off. <laughs> um, another was off sick. So I, if you remember going back to that at night, can you, uh, you know, why did that night stick out so well for those guys? And you and Josh just crushed it. Uh, I, I think those like those like pinnacle points in, in like um, in your career where like you got you got no other choice. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and, and this is your, this is your business. This is your livelihood. Um, you know, you, you just can't fail. So, yeah. yeah. So, so really, you know, like, again, it goes to the team you have and the guys you have and, and, and just being able to get through a day like that, a night like that, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it comes down to a lot of communication, right. you know, to, to make it successful and, you know, to have, you know, to be able to, have had that happen and make it through on the other side and know that you accomplished it and did a good job and, mm-hmm. and did your best is like, it just, it, you know, it's really reassuring that, you know, you got a good team and, and you can really push forward and, and do a good job. Nice. Um, so what were your thoughts when the vid hit and you realized that shit was going to get really tough, especially yeah. on the hospitality industry? Yeah. Like, I, oh, hate was, that, I hate that word pivot. But. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was definitely difficult. You know, we uh, everybody was scared. You know, er, you know, as far as you know, like I, I don't, I don't think we were ever scared of COVID itself or getting sick. Like we were, we were, we're healthy people. We, had, you know, healthy daughters. We eat well. You know, all those other things. Um, I think where we were, where we were afraid was, you know, our livelihood. Yeah. You know, because you know, keeping a roof over our kids' heads, you know, like um, keeping the the lights on on the, on the restaurant, you know. Um, obviously, we have you know staff that work for us, full time staff that re- rely on us to mm-hmm. for them to pay their bills. Um, so that was that was really 
really scary. Um, you know, the the saving grace um, for our staff, I you know, was was the government. You know, the the government help for there. Um, because they were all off. They all decided, you know, we, we gave them the option, you know, do you want to take, do you want to take this time off? Because you can, because we're not open as a restaurant mm-hmm. um, or we're going to try and do what we can here as a restaurant. And so um, as a restaurant, we didn't turn to take out uh, because I didn't feel our food was, is, is worthy of, of takeout. No. Uh, I don't want to do that. I didn't want to offer something substandard to what we were doing just to, to do that. So, so we did, you know, we did, you know, take a little bit of time when it first happened um, to kind of collect our, ourselves and figure out what we were going to do. Uh, and then we came up with a uh, kind of a, a bread uh, meal program right. um, that we offered once a week. Um, and that was a lot because, you know, we have three kids at home. We're homeschooling three kids now because, of, because of COVID, um, where, you know, we have, um, we, we have no staff, uh, we have no income. This is what's happening. We didn't want to rely on the government right away. So we didn't take their money right away. Um, so what we thought was, okay, we're going to do this meal program. And so, um, every, Monday to Wednesday, we would take everybody's orders mm-hmm. um, and we'd start prep on uh, on Monday with getting product in and then prep it all week. And then Saturday, um, we would deliver to everybody um, that that meal uh, and bread and soup and whatever. And it was great. We had great support from the community. Uh, you know, like it really it really saved us. And, you know, we were, we we're super appreciative of that support. Um, was it a lot? It was so much, you know, <laughs> uh, I was here uh, Monday to Friday for like 16, 18 hours a day, making bread, soup, getting all this stuff ready. And then, um, you know, Friday I'd be packing it all up, getting ready for the, all everything for delivery. Uh, Jen is at home, you know, getting stuff ready for the girls there, you know, with their school and, and all that other stuff. And then the orders on top of that, organizing all the orders and the delivery routes, um, and then Saturday we would deliver yeah. and it'd be an all day thing. And by the time we were done Saturday at like four or five o'clock, uh, we're, we're pooched and, and we were able to put our feet up yeah. and then we were, then we decided that, okay, well, we're going to take Sunday for ourselves. That worked out, you know, not very long because you got to have to prep for the, you have to figure out what's happening the week ahead. So now we're putting together what the meal is for the, that week, putting our orders in for the Monday, getting all that sorted out. And so really it was like yeah. a seven day a week, you know, just hammered out. So, um, after, you know, two months of, of doing that, uh, I, I, we had to stop, Yeah, you know, it was just, you know, uh, staff were still off and I just said, you know what? we need to take a break. So we, we, we told every, we sent out messages to uh, everybody who'd been supporting us, yeah. told them that we were taking a break. Uh, and then we took a break for about three weeks and then restaurants opened back up again. Yeah. So it was, it was a really kind of perfect timing in, in the sense that like we had take some time off uh, pre bread meal program. We've done our meal program for a few months. We took some time off to um, not kill ourselves. Yeah. And then, then the restaurant opened. Yeah. So, um, and then in, in that time, that's when Sam also broke his collarbone. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you mentioned the long days, yeah. stress, and this is, this, think of some advice to any small business owner out there. Yeah. It's so like, what is your, like, what's your coping strategy or outlet for the inevit- inevitable stress that not only comes with being a chef, but a small business owner as well? Yeah. Um, I think... N- 
now coming out of all of this, looking at um, kind of dividing my time up appropriately in my life, uh, enough for work, enough for uh, home, enough for the, the family, yeah. enough for myself, uh, you know, enough time so that my wife and I can spend some time together, you know, looking at those things and, and being able to, you know, not be 100% of work 100% of the time, you know, and, and so now, you know, like, um, you know, I picked up, you know, within the last year, I picked up disc golf, you know, so mm-hmm. doing that with buddies and, and meeting new people and, and just kind of having that thing that I can do once or twice a week that yeah. only takes a couple hours. Um, the guys here go golfing too. So I've gone golfing with them a couple times, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, uh, trying to find those times to, you know, just do something that's, um, healthy and productive and, and, and not, uh, you know, cause I mean, we can always cope with, you know, uh, you know, traditionally in our industry substances, yeah. you know, substance abuse and, and, uh, and, you know, like that, that just wasn't going to help the situation. Right. So we really wanted to make sure that, you know, what we were doing was, was dividing that time up appropriately. So is, do you believe there's a work life balance? Like I hear that and I, I kind of equate it to, there's different seasons in our lives mm-hmm. where I think you're going to go harder than others and you're going to be more focused on family at one point than the other. Yep. But do you, what's your take on a balanced, a balanced life? Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. Cause it, like you said, it depends on which season of life exactly, you're in, you yeah. know, like if you have young, young kids, then like they require a lot of your time, you know, and, and, you know, we're, you know, here we've, you know, with, with our life, Jen and our life and our family and, and the restaurant, you know, like, for years when the girls were little, Jen was home with the girls and, and taking care of them and raising them. And I was grinding it out and, and, you know, making it work. And, and now we're in a new season where like, you know what, Jen's here more, uh, Sam and the guys are here more. Uh, I'm here less, uh, but I'm home, I'm home with the girls and, and we're having dinners together. And, and, you know, like, because we're all, our, our work week is, is a little bit different. We're, we're only open for business from Thursday to Sunday you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we can have dinner together as a family. Uh, so, you know, two, three nights a week where we can have dinner together is, is phenomenal. You know, most people, uh, families that get that every night cause they're nine to fives, but like for us, it's, it's, uh, um, especially special because, you know, we, you know, we have that limited time. So we want to take that opportunity to really make sure, okay, we're sitting down at the table, we're having a family meal and this is what it is. So, You know, I think just just forcing yourself to take that time is important. Nice. Yeah. What uh, what chef, dead or alive, gets to cook your meal, oh. and you actually get to sit down and eat that meal with and shoot the shit with? Oh man, that's that's a hard one. There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> now, a, now, while you think about there's that, there's a lot. Yeah. There's. I actually messaged Jen, and yeah, and this kind of goes in with what uh, maybe one of your favorite restaurants you've ever because I know you and Jen like to travel, yep. get out to the 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 nice restaurants, yep. like. And so I asked her her top two, and she yeah. said Le Bernardin, yeah. with, you know, a seafood centric restaurant. Yeah. Um, it truly lived up to the fine dining. And then last year you got a chance to go to Chicago. Yep. And she had said the girl and the goat was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it was a simpler, more approach to food, but um, it was just it was very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Oh, it would it would be amazing to sit and uh, you know pick you know uh, both Stephanie Izzard uh, and uh, and um, Eric Rippert's uh, brains. That they're both you know. Um, amazing chefs in their own merit. Yeah. Um, 
Eric Rippert, uh, you know, he, when we ate at his place, it was, it was phenomenal. You know, like the, they spared no expense on the food and the service and, and yeah. really kind of, you know, you know, gave, gave you a little bit more insight as to, you know, what we could do as a little place in a rural community, mm-hmm. um, while still maintaining our own identity. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you're as a, as a chef, you're, you're influenced by a lot of different things. You're influenced by other chefs, you know, you're influenced by seasons, you're influenced by products, you're influenced by producers, you know? And, and so, you know, it's trying to take all those, uh, influences and, and, you know, make the, make them your own and put them together on a plate. Right. Um, to to have people enjoy so um, so yeah I think that you know like those those two restaurants that you know she had mentioned specifically yeah. um, are are great you know I think you know um, the girl and the goat in um, in Chicago they also have a location in in uh, Los Angeles as well um, phenomenal you know great you know they had a chef's table experience we we had a reservation there we didn't didn't even really know too too much about it going into chicago um but you know doing some research while we were there uh we came across it and we're like oh we definitely have to check this place out it looks yeah. it looks super cool and and tasty and then they had a chef's table which you know like 639 we right. we have a chef's table here so um now it was it was booked when we arrived but we asked about it and asked if it was available. And they're like, well, somebody's sitting there now, but I think they're almost done. Do you guys mind waiting? And we're like, yeah, we'll wait. <laughs> uh, and so then we got the, the, the chef's table experience there. And, and right. you know, like the staff were wonderful and, and really accommodating and, and super, you know, uh, approachable and, and just, you know, um, being able to be on the receiving end of it yeah. at, at a different, you know, venue was, was just, you know, really great. Right. And it wasn't like this chef's table that was this monstrosity because it's in a big city. It was, you know, just a couple seats, nice. you know, that's it. And, and that's, you know, you know, I think where, where people um, really kind of have great experiences is not only just the food um, and, and the service that you get, but the personalities that are there yeah. at each of these places. And, and, you know, the girl and the goat had, had lots of personality. Nice. Now the next question now, I know you've read this book, yeah. Third Plate, Dan Barber. You've yeah. also got a bit of history yeah. uh, with with that. But uh, the question is going to be, how do you measure success right now? Mm-hmm. But I just want to read, it's probably one of my favorite excerpts in this book that I'm just going to breeze through. Now, Miguel is the fish farmer that was hired to manage a fish farm. And it's not your typical fish farm. But Miguel nodded as, uh, so he was asked, how do you measure success? Miguel nodded as if expecting the question, and in a perfectly orchestrated act of good timing, he pulled alongside, alongside a shallow levee. Thousands of pink flamingos stretched before us, a pink carpet as far as I could see. That's success, he said. Look at their bellies. He pointed. They're feasting. I was totally confused. This is Dan Barber now saying, feasting? Aren't they feasting on your fish? Yes, he said, as proud as I'd heard him all day. Lisa and I laughed, but he ignored us. Looking out at the flamingos, there are 30,000 flamingos. Overall, we lose 20% of the fish eggs and baby fish to the birds here. But Miguel, isn't a thriving bird population the last thing you want on a fish farm? He shook his head slowly. With the same calm acceptance Eduardo had shown in the face of losing half of his goose eggs to hawks. We're farming extensively, not intensively, he said. This is the ecological network. The flamingos eat the shrimp. 
the shrimp eat the phytoplankton. So the pinker the bellies, the better the system. The quality of the relationship matters more than the quantity of the catch. Yeah. So that, I don't know why, that just strikes home and we could get into fish farming, all that. But, yeah. Um, I just like how he took a broader sense of success is not black and white. Mm -hmm. It's looking at the whole system. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, would I, I, that, there's no truer words have been spoken, right? Right. Um, it, it's really cool. I think that, you know, uh, I would, I would gauge, you know, our success, um, on longevity. The fact that we've, we've been here for, uh, for 18 years, you know, our, our restaurant opened in 2005 and, and here we are still now, yeah. you know, kicking it around. Um, restaurants aren't profitable. Um, you know, like it's, it, you know, it's, it's gotta be a labor of love. Uh, it's gotta be sustainable for sure. Um, but you know, I think that what we, what we really need to, to think about is what, what purpose do restaurants serve? Are, are they just there to feed our bellies or are they there to, you know, bring you joy and, and bring people together and, and, you know, breaking bread together is, is such an important part of, um, you know, our, our human code. Right. Totally. So I think that, you know, taking these things into perspective and knowing that like for 18 years, we've been bringing people together to enjoy food and drink and, and break bread together and have good times. And that's continuously happening. Then that's, then we're successful. Right. You know, we're, you know, like, um, you know, I, you know, we went on our first vacation, uh, as a family, um, right. You know, uh, right at uh, the beginning of 2020, you know, January, 2020 is our, was our first family vacation. And it was great, great time. Um, took us, you know, uh, 10 years of our first child being born to go on a vacation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's, that's not a measure of success. You know, um, I could, I could, you know, like, I'd rather, you know, make sure that we live a happy life, eating good food, spending time with people that we love and, and, you know, uh, just enjoying each other's company with food around us and being able to offer that in our own, you know, in our own establishment and continue doing that rather than, you know, vacationing every year or going to this yeah. place and that place. For sure. I want to go and eat good food around the world. Then, yeah. But, you know, like that's, that's more, that's not a success thing. That's, you know. That's a, uh, you know, self, uh, yeah. <laughs> self gratification kind of yeah. thing. Right. So, yeah, I think that that's where our success, I think I see our success. Yeah. Um, the fact that, you know, we, we are able to see other people's successes, um, that have worked for us throughout the years, you know, um, seeing multiple chefs that have worked for us, uh, go on, uh, from here and become successful in their own merit, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that like we've, we've helped, uh, other people on their journey to become chefs, um, and had impact on their lives, much like, you know, the chefs I work for have had yeah. impacts on me. So, I mean, uh, if we can continue doing those same things and treating people well and being good to each other, I think that's, that's really at the end of the day, well, what will, you know, prevail all of us is just being good to each other. Yeah. So, well, that's a, that seems like a good good spot to end that here that's uh that's an awesome answer yeah thanks so anyways i just want to say thanks taking the time garrett and i got an amazing meal poached yeah. lobster yeah and uh it's just great to uh, this being our first podcast i want to say thank you for giving us the time yeah yeah no problem this has been great so again thank you eric if there's nothing else to add where can people find you 
Yeah, so we're in, in Woodstock, Ontario. Uh, 639 Peel Street uh, is is the location. Um, 639 is the restaurant. And we're, we're here. We're here Thursday through Sunday. Um, and we really appreciate the, the support of everybody, the community, and, and anybody who wants to dine with us. And anybody who wants to come back again, we, we love you even more. So, yeah. Thanks. And for... For the new podcast viewers, Chris Seafood, and anybody living in the Woodstock area, we have a store at 1300 Seagrave, Unit 4 on Seagrave Drive. And also, please follow us on YouTube. As a small business, that's one of the best things that you could do to help us out right now is subscribe, like, and comment if you wish. But main thing is, please subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So that's it. Look out for some of the uh, videos coming out soon in the new year. The podcast will be running every two weeks. So thank you very much. I'm Chris, owner of Chris Seafood, keeping you informed of business owners in the area. And remember to keep your meals hook, line, and simple. Thanks a lot.